Let us pray. Holy Spirit, quiet our hearts and our minds. Calm all of our anxieties within and without. And quiet those things that might distract us from your word. Amen. Every year on Ash Wednesday, I send a message to two of my closest friends. I know them through my home church in Gainesville, Georgia. And we have gone to church, had gone to church there together um, from a very young age, early elementary school. But we became friends when we started a high school girls small group. And it was that first year in ninth grade that our youth pastor, who was also our small group leader, asked us to go to the Ash Wednesday service together and then go to Dairy Queen for blizzards after. We were super excited. So I, being the rule follower that I was, went to the Ash Wednesday service, got my ashes, and then was headed to Dairy Queen when I ran into my two close friends. And they said, slow down, slow down. We didn't go to the service, and we need to have ashes on our forehead when we go to Dairy Queen. So they proceeded to steal ashes from my forehead and rub them on their own. (laughs) We went to Dairy Queen, and my youth pastor saw me and saw them and said, do you think I don't have eyes? (laughs) I know that you weren't in the service. There weren't that many people. I'm aware that you weren't there, and that's okay. You didn't have to go, but don't pretend to go and then come to Dairy Queen. So I think it's really funny that a lot of our texts today talk about not performing our faith, and that is my favorite Ash Wednesday story. I also think it's kind of weird in general that Ash Wednesday is the only time of year when all of us have a physical sign of our faith right there on our foreheads. And yet it is also a day where all of our texts talk about not performing our faith. We've talked so much in the past few years about being performative. At least I think I've heard a lot about it. I remember a big term in 2020 was virtue signaling, which was posting something on social media about an issue like anti-racism, but then not actually doing any work to examine your own privilege or anything other than posting a black square. And now I wonder all the time if I'm being performative. We've talked about this among the clergy. Did I wear a mask today because I feel anxious or because I wanted to show solidarity with the youth or because I tend to catch everything? Or do I maybe just like hiding part of my face because I tend to be quite expressive? Honestly, I can't even tell you. I don't think any of us really know what we're doing at this point. I haven't been comfortable for two years. So deciding what I am comfortable with at this point is interesting. I've told the youth that like grief, I think the lasting anxiety of living in a pandemic will be with us for a little while. And like grief, it is not linear. It can sneak up on us when we think we are totally fine. So I hope and I trust that we all have grace with one another and with ourselves as we navigate this liminal space. 
I've learned recently that even something as simple as tidying your living room can be a performative act. It's actually been freeing for me to think about why do I judge myself based on the cleanliness of one room in my home as soon as a person comes into my home. When I think about how I want people to see me either as a person or even as a pastor, I don't want to project some false image of perfection, like I have my life 100% together. I don't. And I also don't want other people to feel the pressure to tidy and clean just for me to sit in their living room for a couple of hours. So I've decided to stop tidying if you come over. <laughs> Within reason. One of my very favorite acts of performativity is when drivers have either a Christian fish or maybe a coexist sticker on the bumper of their car and then cut you off on the beltway. <laughs> there are also definitely aspects of faith that can be performative. A huge one for me as a youth pastor is often confirmation. Every single year when I ask a class, why are you going through confirmation? Probably half of them say, because I'm supposed to, I'm in eighth grade. And then we meet for five to eight weeks and we talk about what it means to join the church and the teachers get really deep about it. You have a voice and a vote. You will have this community that you will have either way to support you as you continue to question things in your faith journey. You will be part of furthering the gospel. But I know that a few will still join simply because they are supposed to. And that's okay too. I'd be lying if I didn't say that this was also true for me. I truly enjoy leading liturgy at the 8.30 service. I love that it's not recorded. I love that it's not mic'd, it's cozy. But rarely do I get here that early on a Sunday morning by choice. It's just not my preference to get here at 8.30 to sit in the pew and worship. Why do we worship? Why do we give? Why do we participate in service or mission or choir or youth group or not participate? Are there certain spiritual practices that are missing from our lives? Now, there's not a list of spiritual practices that you should be practicing, but I will admit that even as a pastor, I still struggle, having just finished seminary, to spend time reading scripture unless I'm writing a sermon. And that is both a challenge to myself, an invitation for us to read more scripture, and a reminder that I still need grace for myself in a season of transition. So maybe there are spiritual practices like that that you feel are missing. I think these passages and the season of Lent in general offer us a time to reflect on our own practices, to figure out what might be missing or what might be missing meaning these days. And if we do it well, we can either change our perspective, reminding ourselves why we do these things that we are supposed to do, why it is important to worship or give or be part of the church. Or we can change our practices to better reflect our values and eliminating things that are getting in the way or adding a practice that might better center our hearts on God. Now, as Larry has reminded us the past two weeks in the same sermon, many texts are not addressed to us as individuals, but as a community of faith. In this passage from Isaiah, God is speaking to the people, partly as individuals who are fasting in problematic ways. 
but God is also speaking to a nation, judging them as a nation that is not practicing righteousness. This is the part where I start to feel very nervous. I'm not so sure that I like the idea of being judged collectively as a nation, or even as believers of Abrahamic faiths in the US, and certainly not as Christian believers in the US. Have we, as a nation, chosen this fast that God chooses? We find this call not only in this passage in Isaiah, but throughout the prophets, the law, and the gospels. To loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free, to share our bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into our homes, to bind up the brokenhearted and wipe away every tear. In this case, maybe it's easier to excuse ourselves as individuals. These issues are systemic after all. This text wasn't written to our context and we didn't choose the history of our nation and we have to fix the system and COVID and the economy and I'm just one person and I do my part and I know you do. It is each of us and it is all of us. And in the end, it is only Christ that can bring resurrection. So then what happens in Isaiah? After this charge and judgment, the people respond to God's call. The servants of God humble themselves and confess their sins. And God's covenant with Israel is fulfilled in the coming of a new Jerusalem. Joel is a different story, a different time, and a different prophet. But I love how these two texts speak to each other. That's why they're both chosen as part of the lectionary. Because what Isaiah takes multiple chapters after this passage to play out, Joel reminds us in just a few verses. Return to the Lord with all your heart. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. For God is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This season is a time for us to ask these questions, to examine ourselves, to reflect on our practices, and to return to the Lord. The resurrection is coming, but in this Lenten season, we are still in the rending. The resurrection is coming, but as we await God's new creation, as long as that weight might feel, we are still in the rending. So let us rend our hearts. Amen.